Thank you. You guys can continue to get nourishment in the form of sugar. Um, I am so grateful to see all of you here uh, this morning. I know this maybe not is the most conducive uh, to seeing projection. Ho hopefully you can see that. Uh, hopefully you can hear me okay and the never regions. Everybody good? Excellent. I see those hands. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, I wanted to start with a story. I remember when I was little, my dad telling me this story, and I don't remember a lot of stories. My youth will tell you that. They're like, you just don't remember, Melissa. And I, I'm like, there's only so much space up here, and I have to be right here in the moment. But this story really stuck out to me. My grandfather, my dad's dad, worked a lot with railroads and stuff, and for a period of time, he worked in the Grand Canyon. And when they were there, they were building a lot of the base camps down at the bottom, and, and so they had to get supplies down there, and uh, resources and so they would put these on these pack mules and these mules would go down the trail they take all that stuff down there and people would unload it and the mules would come back up and they'd get another load and this was their life and I remembered that my grandfather told my dad that there was a time where a mule had been packed with a refrigerator on its back and that refrigerator was sitting on the mule and he was at the top and he just kind of wandered a little bit and then he wandered to the edge and he walked off. I mean, that just stuck in my mind. I was like, tragedy? Like, what? Really? No, there's a joke, right? There's another part of that? No, it just, it had all it could take, and it walked off the edge with that burden. First of all, I'm not calling you guys mules, okay? <laughs> That's not the takeaway. Um, I'm also not saying the other, that we're ready to walk off the edge uh, and it all. But that story and that mule does remind me a lot about our life right now. That a lot of us are so burdened, that we're so weighed down, that we get to a point often where we don't think we can continue on or that we can manage this anymore. When we talk to people, when I, I talk to people and we ask how you're doing, there's usually three words um, that I hear from people. Overwhelmed. Overscheduled exhausted. How are you doing? Oh man, I, I'm just so overwhelmed. How's your week going? I am so busy, so overscheduled. How are you feeling? I'm exhausted. That's our norm. It's actually become pretty popular when you say to people, how are you, to go, I'm, I'm, I'm great, I'm busy. And I've been really conscious of that the last few months when someone says something like that to me to try and find a different response. But my natural one is to go, well, I'm busy, I, you know, just do it, it's good, but I'm busy because I don't know anything else to say because that is what life is like. Our, as pastors, we have a big concern about this, a pastoral concern that we look around at people and we see a tired, overscheduled, overwhelmed group that is not living the kind of life that God dreams for us to live. And so that's why we have this series going on, Resetting Life's Compass, if you weren't in first service, I encourage you to say for second, the 1045, because it's a fantastic sermon from Jim Hill on managing the clock. This whole series is this idea of how can we deal uh, with these three words and this way of living in our life. Here's some uh, little stats about stress. There, I could give you a ton, but you guys know most of these. You experience them. Percent of people who regularly experience physical symptoms of stress, 77%. Percent, uh, percent of people who regularly experience psychological symptoms caused by stress, 73%. Mm. 
Three out of four people are living this way. Percent of people who feel their stress has increased the past five years, 48%. This is a 2014 survey. Percent of people who say stress has a negative impact on their personal and professional lives, 48%. And the last one here, percent of people who said stress has caused them to fight with people close to them, 54%. Some of you guys know that feeling. Yeah. Being overloaded is one of the most sanctified bondages in the church. I really believe that. There's a lot of things that we put up with, and and this is one of them that we have the people that are enslaved to time and obligations and commitments, and it's a form of slavery, and it's not how God intended us for, for us to live. But as a church, we don't not only not talk about it much, we actually contribute to it a lot, don't we? We're part of the problem. Now, I'm speaking this Sunday and next Sunday not because I'm an expert on this issue at all. Uh, if you know me or my, you know my life, you know that I struggle with this all the time. I have for as long as I can really remember. I remember in high school, my parents like sitting me down and going, you're quitting something because I had so many obligations, so many things I was committed to and doing, and it, it wasn't healthy for me or for our family. Um, even today, I struggle with this of, of managing it. Seven, about seven years ago, I went through a really difficult time. I went through a time where I, I ended up over a, a, a period of time with lots of different things, getting to the point where I was so depressed, severely depressed, burned out, resulted in getting counseling and going on medication and those things, which are great and what I needed at that time. And we don't talk about that a lot as a church, but what amazed me during that time when I finally got to a point where I could talk about it and I could say, man, this is what I've allowed my life to be like, People's responses were, oh, well, what are you taking? I'm taking. (laughs) Yikes. I had no idea until I started talking about it how many of us, that the only way we could enjoy the uh, good life was to be sedated, you know? And so many of us are in that spot. So what is wrong with that? So I'm not speaking as an expert. But because of that experience, two things. Number one, I'm so burdened for people who are living like this. Now that I walked through that journey of absolute, you know, being depleted and exhausted and feeling alone, I know how many people are feeling that, and that breaks my heart. And I know it breaks God's heart. And the second thing is, I know those warning signs, and when they start to happen in my life again because I don't watch my margins, I recognize those things. I start making changes quickly because I promised myself I will never get back to where I was seven years ago. So I'm not an expert. I'm a fellow student, a fellow struggler on the way. Um, But I really do believe that God has something better for us. Where we're going, I just want to tell you the four sessions. Today we're going to talk about the struggle is real. We're just going to name it. You'll probably be a little more down by the time we leave today for this session. That's not my intent, but it may happen. Um, We're going to just be honest. And then the second one, after lunch today, we're going to talk about the dream, really what God's dream is for us, Okay, the idea of, of life abundant. Next Sunday is going to be some more practical things with how to declutter our life a little bit. Now, if you're like me, you kind of like to get right to those practical things. You know, it's like, okay, well, just give me 10 steps, uh, another real simple article on 30 ways to clean out your house, and that's what I came looking for, Melissa. Um, But the problem with that is that we don't really deal with the underlying issues, right? And so it's kind of like that garage sale that we have. 
Like we look around our house and we're like, oh, I have so much stuff. I got to get rid of stuff. And so you start purging anything not nailed down, goes to the garage sale, goes to the thrift store. Husband comes in looking for their pants. Sorry, they're gone. Kids, their favorite toy, gone, you know? And so we do all that and we feel great because our house looks so wonderful. And then 12 months later, it's like mean little elves have come in and they filled in every space again with stuff. And we have to have another purging because we really never dealt with the underlying stuff along the way. So instead of skipping to right to the steps and, and practical stuff, we're going to spend some time looking at really what is the problem uh, and how we face that. So um, a while ago, I saw this commercial, and I just it made me think of our lives. Okay, I saw that, and I mean, I know what they're talking about, but isn't that life a lot of times, right? Like from the time we get up until the time we go to bed, and even in our dreams, there's all these voices, there's all these things gritting our attention, and we can't turn them off, and they follow us everywhere. Um, that's why we're overwhelmed, overburdened, overscheduled, and exhausted, all these things in our life. So here's a, the, an image I want us to think about. Um, you're going to see why art is not my career. I want you to uh, picture a bucket. Okay, that's a bucket. And um, the idea that we have our life is this bucket, okay? And um, if we live with a full bucket, okay, we're life, we're rested, we're, we're not overscheduled, we have a good balance, good margin in our life, what is life like for you when you're living with your bucket full? So just throw out some words or phrases or something about what your life feels like when you're living in a healthy spot in life. Satisfying, content, peaceful, confident, happy, relaxed. Oh, these all sound so good. Everybody wants to take a nap right now. Peaceful. Any others? Unburdened, yeah. This is... This is living life the way God intended to. When we're at this point and our bucket is full in life, uh, we hear God better, right? We are more in tune to God's plan. We have the ability to say yes and no and to discern things because we're not depleted. We're at a, a good spot. So we, we are balanced. And we have all those things that you, you mentioned, okay? Peace. We love our family better, right? We're not as grumpy and... We're good. We're better people when we're living uh, at this spot. What about when your bucket is empty, okay, or near empty? Down here, you're depleted, exhausted, overscheduled. Uh, what words come to mind about your life then? Grumpy. Oh, yeah, physically. We, we feel physical effects of that. What else? Anxious. Worried. Empty, yes. Scared. Mm-hmm. Lonely. Yeah. Hopeless. Mm-hmm. 
Stressed. Yeah. Discouraged. Discouraged. Yeah, no one wants to be at this level. You know, often the number one word I hear about related to being exhausted or depleted here is resentment. And you think about that. When you're stressed or where you just are really, you know, been depleted of everything, uh, we resent a lot of stuff. Like, you know, things that never would bother you before. All of a sudden, you're just like, that person, they never support me. You know, they're never for me. And would it hurt you one time to take the trash out? It's right by your car. I don't understand that. And we just, you know, have a 10-minute dialogue in the driveway. about, it. And we wouldn't normally, but we're stressed. We're, we're nearing empty, and so these things magnify, and we resent. Our coworkers, my boss never understands. He has us so good. Yeah, resentment. Resentment towards God when we're empty. Like, you do not care. All you want is want from me. You just want me to produce. I can never do enough for you. You're never satisfied. You don't really love me. We get irritated, you guys mentioned. We withdraw. Some people do that. We just go into a shell and we, we quit. We quit talking. We quit functioning. We quit, quit engaging people. We over everything when we get to this point. Because we can't function at all, we overeat. We overdrink. We overmedicate. We over schedule ourselves. Some people even get to this point and they work harder when they get to a point where they're empty and deflated. We get scattered when we're at this point because we can't make choices, right? It's one of the things I really remember about depression was not being able to make a choice. Like any choice overwhelmed me. It was, if I have to make a decision, that I, I can't handle that right now. But even today, we're, you know, choices are hard because we have so many. You know what our family does on Sundays when I'm trying to decide where to eat? I have this great app called Random Choice. <laughs> And it takes the pressure off of all of us. We just put in menu, where do, whatever we'd like to eat today. Well, that sometimes is a struggle. So I just put things in that we typically go to, and then we all just hit the button, and it tells us where to go. And there's no stress. There's no stress. And I really like that. It, but that app doesn't work for everything in life. It's called Random Choice, by the way. I know some of you would like that for your family meal time. All right? So what we're really talking about, you know, in this whole series is that so many of us live here somewhere. You can picture yourself in this bucket. Where are you at right now? You don't have to share this out loud, but are you here? I mean, have you got great margins and balance and, and you're living with a full life? Or are you here going, it's a struggle. Some days are bad, some days are okay, but I could really do with some more filling in my bucket. Or are you here and have you been here for a while? Because that's a danger zone. When we're living on empty for a long period of time and we're never doing anything to replenish, we lead to danger in our life. It affects us personally, professionally, our relationships, our family. It's tough. One of the uh, handouts I gave you says symptoms of something, right? All right, yes. So I want you to take a look at that. Sorry. And I just want you to do a quick glance. You may have already done that, but I'm going to be quiet for a minute. Your prayers were answered. I just want you to go through those, and I just want you to check any of those that fit your life right now. When you read it, you say, yeah, that's, that's me, or that's our family.
All right. Obviously, you guys have things to share about that. What I'd like to do... Oh, it's a, thank you, whoever did that. What I'd like to do is uh, just hear from a few people, maybe one that you heard at your table. You can out someone else. It's all right. You don't have to say your own. But uh, what's one that came up a lot at your table on the, uh, the symptoms here, the syndromes? I know, ironically, in that moment, yes, especially. Yeah, 24-7, there's always noises. Do what? Choice. Choice. The overload of choice. We'll get you that app. It'll help. Possession overload, yeah. So many things that we own and have to keep. Change overload. Constantly, things are changing, aren't they? Information. Yes, those of us that love to take in and learn and stuff, there are way too many blogs, too many articles, too many good books, but we try. Any others? Commitment, Commitment overload, yeah. We've said yes to too many things. That list comes from a great book called Margin. It's written by a doctor. You know, the information's on the back side at the bottom. Um, but it's also a Christian perspective. Um, but he, after seeing so many clients and doing a lot of research in life himself, he has a great book talking about margin, not only the problems of it related to progress and culture and those kinds of things, but a lot of practical steps to how to get margin in our life because he really says that's the, the, the thing that will fix overload is margin, the thing that we, we forget about the most. What I want to spend the next few minutes talking about is with our bucket, uh, before we can talk about in the next three sessions really how to fill this bucket and how God wants to fill our bucket so that we're living at this life that he intends for us to live at, not a depleted life, um, we have to do some patching of holes, right? Because we can fill this with all these things that we think will fill us, but if we have these holes in our bucket, in our lives, um, everything just keeps leaking out, sometimes slower than others, um, and we never can live life at this point. And obviously there's seasons, right? There's times when it's going to be a little more a little more pressing, a little more busy than others, but we watch this often so that we can move back to living at our best self, the self that we mentioned earlier, um, the best self that we have for God. So I want to talk about why we can't say no, okay? Because uh, a lot of times we get to the point where we're, the problem is that we're saying yes. It's, it's, the problem is all lots of little things, right? It's usually not, every once in a while there's a big whammy, but a lot of times it's all these little small, it's death by a thousand cuts idea, Okay, and it's yes to this and yes to this and yes to this, and they may seem little and whatever, but they add up, and you've sliced your life and you to pieces, uh, and water's leaking everywhere. So, talking about some ideas about why we we can't say no, and a huge one, and a lot of them just fall under this idea is fear, and it's hard to be really honest about that sometimes, but there's a lot of fear in our life. We live as people afraid, and there's lots of different types of fear, and maybe some of these will resonate with you and, and what you're dealing with. Fear of letting people down. There's a lot of people that are people pleasers. Okay? And as much as we would love to surround ourselves with that, because that means it's good for us, um, so many of us are that way, and we have trouble saying no to people because we're afraid we're going to let them down, that they'll be disappointed in us, that we owe them something, 
Um, and so the idea that, you know, you might not impress your boss or something, if you said no to this and you want to please your boss, you say yes to something that you know is going to send you over this line, that you're already maxed out, okay? Coworkers, family, you know, a child who needs, an adult child who needs something else. And you're like, oh, you know, I feel like I need to. I don't want to disappoint them or let them down. And yet we get down even further. The fear of what other people think. Our culture really loves productivity and being busy. We worship it. We applaud it. Who are, the people we admire often are those who seem to make things happen. They have a dream, a vision, and they, they work, and they make it happen, and, and they're always busy. And when we go around, it's all this image management. You know, like, oh, how are you? I'm busy. And if I'm busy, obviously, I must be important. Okay. And we judge people, too. When people have maybe a better balance in life, they have some margin, and they say no. If we were honest, a lot of times inside us, we think, wow, they're really lazy. You know? Can't help me out. Everybody else is pulling their weight. So we do have this as part of our culture and uh, that we struggle with, too, of, of what will other people think if I say no or if I have balance or I don't allow my kid to be a part of that organization. Fear of falling behind <clears throat> or, or just failing. I think I see this a lot in parents especially. Like, There's this fear of failing with their kids. They're like, if I don't do all this with our children, if I don't provide every single opportunity or option, then I may fail them as a parent. You know, Down the road, that may impact them, and I don't want that. I want them to have every opportunity, so we'll let them try everything right now because they may regret that one day down the line. And I don't want to fail as a parent. So we say yes to a lot of stuff. Even those of us, you know, just fear failure. You know, like if, if I don't say yes to this, you know, then I'm not succeeding. Then I can't handle it all, right? So then I'm not a failure. I, I do that. I look around at people who are doing a lot more than me, and there's this, like, wow, you know, I'm obviously not pulling my weight, and obviously I'm failing if I can't multitask too like that. You know, so surely I should be able to do that too because I don't want to fail. Fear of scarcity. Our culture has a huge fear of scarcity. I mean, it's why we could have a TV show called Hoarders in America, you know? And, and a lot of us watch it, we laugh, and then some, we look around, we're like, whoa, next week's episode right here, okay? So, I mean, there's hoarder, hoarding of possessions, you know, that, that we you know, can't have enough clothes or material things, and if I don't have the latest gadgets or the latest phones or whatever, you know, I'm behind already. And, and we, go to, we wake up in the morning, you know, we go to bed at night going, wow, I didn't get enough done today, I ran out of time. In the morning we wake up, oh, I didn't get enough sleep today. The whole idea is that scarce, there's never enough of stuff until we decide that there is, right? So a lot of us, we say yes to things because of scarcity, a fear of that. Fear of dealing with things that we are avoiding. So some of us, we just know busy, and we like busy because we stay busy, and then we don't have to really face things that we don't want to face, right? So when you're not busy, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll just sit here. Oh, I'm thinking about stuff I don't want to think about. So I get up and go do something else, or turn Netflix on, or refresh the phone. Like every minute, some new stuff's going to happen on Facebook, or Twitter, or Instagram. But if I do those things, I don't have to focus on the things that I don't want to. A bad relationship. Marriage is difficult. I'm having trouble with a kid. I just I pour myself into my work or I overschedule things so I don't have to deal with the things because I'm afraid of facing those difficult things. And fear of being obsolete or forgotten. And that's a big one with a lot of us. Like, I matter because of what I do, 
or how busy I am. And if I don't say yes to this other thing, if I'm not the president of this or the board on the board of this, if I don't lead this, then I don't matter. You know, so we take a job that we don't really need financially for a title that we don't really need either, but because it validates us in some way to say, I matter. At the end of the day, I may have no life, but I had a title, and so I mattered. So that's a fear, too. Uh, pride. You know, some of it, pride is, uh, you know, just this defined as holding an excessively high opinion of oneself or one's importance. That we think, wow, they could not do it without me. Like, if I were not here, we all know that this ship would sink. You know, Doyle better count his blessings <laughs> because Jim is on staff. All right. Um, you know, it's this, it's this, this that life, you know, they, they need me. My family needs me. If I don't do this job, if I don't do all of this and stuff, then we really wouldn't function uh, as, a, as a family. So we like that. And it's this idea of, you know, being a savior. You know, we're, I can save the world. I, I view myself as that way. I can make it happen. So, you know, here's something really important to write down and remember is we have a savior and it's not you. All right. <laughs> And it's not me. And I really struggle with that a lot. I feel, you know, a lot of guilt and all that kind of stuff related because I see people hurting. And you get mixed up and you think, like, I, if I don't do this for them, if I, if I don't do all these things for them, then they may suffer. They, they may hurt. It's up to me. It's on me. And Jesus would remind us, we have a Savior, and it's not you. I will call you to do some things, but I don't call you to do everything. And it's also up to that person. So we have a lot of people who struggle with Jesus complex. We've got one. He does very well all on his own. The next one is um, guilt and shame. <clears throat> and the, there's a little difference between the two. Some of us struggle with guilt, with, with, which is just kind of a behavior thing. Like, you know, I made a bad choice on that, and I, I should have said no to that. You know, But the shame part would be like, I'm a bad person. I am a bad person because I made that choice. You see the difference between those two? So some of us, yeah, guilt is part of it, and, and we make correction. Guilt can be really healthy to go, that was a poor choice. That's on me. I apologize. I'm going to do something different. Or I should not have agreed to that uh, and added that to my schedule, and I'm going to follow through on my commitment, but I've learned from that. Shame is going, wow, um, if I say no to that, then they're not going to love me because I'm not worthy. You know, Shame is... Wow, if I don't um, contribute this to my family, if I don't uh, do this, with my children won't love me, and I'm not a good mother. That's that difference there. And so we really struggle with guilt and shame in our life. And uh, there's a, you know, we often with guilt and stuff and, and shame both will say, well, God says, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We throw that out quite a bit, uh, out of context a lot. You know, can you, can you fly? I don't, you know, can you not eat for six days? even though some try with diet fads or whatever. No, there are some things you know, that we can't do. That's not what that means. It's that God will call us to things, and the things that he does call us to, he empowers us and strengthens us to, but he doesn't call us to do everything. And so um, we remember that, give it over, that idea of, of guilt that Christians really deal with. The fear of missing out. <clears throat> um, I, I could have listed this under fear, but it's, to me it's just this idea like, 
that we read everything and we want to go to every conference and all this stuff because we're afraid we're going to miss something and we're going to get behind. So every technology we try and keep up with, even though it frustrates us and, and you know, we throw it at the wall and have to get a replacement. Um, it's just, we hate, you know, for me, like the Twitter feed and all that stuff, I love information. I love learning and stuff. And so I can get overloaded simply because there's all these articles or these tweets I save because I'm like, I want to read that article. I got to read that article. And it's overload. Um, and it's just a fear of missing out that something's going to be in that article that I really needed to know or that's going to help me or, or just is wise and... And my life will be worse because I didn't have it. And it's actually worse because I spent all that time uh, on those things. <coughs> control. Um, when certain areas are, of our life are out of control, um, we focus on things that we can control, right? So if there's usually it's people you know, that we can't control, a boss, family member, whatever, then we turn to things that we can. So you, know, you say yes to things that I, I can do, um, that I do have any kind of control over. Um, so that makes me feel a little bit better. All right, so relationship spiraling out, we work more because I can, that's the thing I can manage right there. Um, and, and they're neat and they're tidy and people are not. So sometimes we have that problem with control. And the last one I, I just kind of labeled reactionary living. Um, there you go. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what to say, but it's basically this idea that we never, we're so depleted sometimes and we've never really thought about our life and God's mission in our life um, that we just react. Our whole life is reaction, right? We don't have a plan. We don't have a purpose. We don't know what our best yes is. So we just say yes to lots of little things because we haven't thought it through. And so in the moment someone says something, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then by next week, you're like, wow, I said yes to like 40 things, and I'm overloaded. Um, We're just reacting in our life rather than thinking through what has God uniquely called me to do and to be so that I can say my best yeses to what he's called me to and say no to the things that are not a part of that or part of our family's life, all right? And the last one, just something else, you know? Maybe, maybe something that you think of, like, that in your life you know this is a whole. This is why I have trouble saying no. Maybe the others didn't touch on it for you. But if we rush to just some strategies, and we don't think about why we keep getting in the cycle again, why we have to keep having the garage sale, uh, then we're going to have this cycle in our entire life of being overloaded and then depleted, you know, and then fill up and then be depleted again. So I'm looking around, and I look at you guys, and I think you look really more depressed than when we started, and that's so bad. Um, That was not my intent, but I do think it's really important to be honest from the very beginning that no one put us here, right? No one really. I mean, when we get frustrated and depleted, we start blaming lots of people, and it's everybody else's fault. But one of the hard lessons I had to learn was I got myself here all on my own, And I was the only one that, with God's help, could fill this back up again. And it wasn't until I realized why I got here um, that I could do that. And so really, you know, a homework assignment out of this first, uh, you know, time together is to think about in your life, where are you at on your bucket and and why? What is the real reason behind? Do you just live in a fear of disappointing people? And so your life is managed by other people and their approval or disapproval of you? That's a horrible way to live, isn't it? Is it control? Is it pride that you just don't think the world can handle living without you? It will one day. So why not in the, in the moment that we have um, live the way God intends us to? I want us to look at um, Exodus chapter 3. <clears throat> um, and in a moment in Moses' life, where we're picking up the story with Moses here, um, he has been out and away from Egypt and that for a while. You know, remember, he, he grew up in the palace. 
He ended up killing an Egyptian. He had to flee for his life, and he lands out here in the desert. Now he's tending sheep and having a family, and we don't know much about how he necessarily feels or what life is like at this point, um, but it is a point in which God meets him. So let's look at verses 1 through 4. They're up on your screen as well. Yeah, scripture. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He, Moses, led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. Moses looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, had turned aside to see, then God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Now, Horeb means actually a wasteland. So literally, the translation of that is wasteland. So God comes to Moses in the wasteland, not in a sacred holy place, not in a church, not at some high mountaintop experience, but in in a wasteland. And when I look at that, I think about for a lot of us, our lives, when we get down here, this is what it feels like, is a wasteland. Like we're in this dark place where God possibly can't find us because we're so empty and life is, we struggle with it. Um, to see any good in it. So where could we find good in that? I mean, how could God, who is good, be in the midst of this? But Moses is out doing his life. You know, maybe his bucket is full. Maybe he's exhausted and depleted because, you know, he did these things back in Egypt and even the Israelites didn't appreciate that. And now he's out here with sheep and they smell and they don't really listen well sometimes. And, you know, he's in this desert wilderness and he's like, thanks, you know, like, you know, so it could be that even inside he has this wasteland experience. But it's God then who shows up in that. But notice in the scripture passage that the angel of the Lord makes this moment, this holy moment in the midst of that, this flame in this bush, okay? But it required what? Moses looking and seeing and turning aside from what he was doing to recognize it. Okay, And then when that, it's almost like a cause and effect relationship. When he turned aside and looked at that, when God saw that, he called to him then. Almost as if he's saying, you know, like, I'm going to wait until I have your attention. I'm going to make a moment, a holy moment, a, 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 something for you to see to go, stop, turn aside, look, I'm right here. But I'm going to wait until you do that, until I have your attention to say to you, and to give you a calling for your life, because this is the call moment for Moses that changes things. And I often think in our life, you know, in this wasteland that we're at, you know, one, we think God can't possibly speak. We're so burdened and, and depleted. We're empty, absolutely empty. And so it's hard for us even to hear God or to see God. And we also think that God can't possibly be here, but he is. And there's moments all around us, much like Jim preached about in his sermon today, these God moments around us that we have to turn aside to see and then to listen for what God is saying to us, for God to give us direction in our life on how to simplify, how to unclutter, how to patch these holes, how to refill again. Because I tell you this, God is a compassionate, good God. I truly believe it breaks God's heart that he grieves that his children live here. Number one, just because he loves us so much. 
He absolutely loves us. This is not the plan that he had for us. The other part of it is when we are all living here, the majority of us, we cannot help others. And God's heart burdens for them too, right? And so as a compassionate parent who says, man, you are hurting and you're empty, I want to step into your life, into that wasteland, and I want to call you out of it, but I need you to turn aside and see that I'm there and to pay attention. And then we're going to work on this stuff. We're going to patch holes together, and then we're going to refill your bucket. One of my favorite passages of prose is from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. It's pretty common, her Aurora Lee uh, prose, which says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. And you look at that and you're like, blackberries are pretty good. <laughs> we say that and, you know, life, you know, like, blackberries are okay. That's not, I can sit around a bush and eat blackberries. But those who see, see even better the best yes to our life. God at work calling to us making holy moments in our life every day. Your heart and mine yearn from, for some kind of antidote to all the busyness and, and drivenness. I, I don't think you'd probably be here. I mean, some of you had no choice. It's Sunday school hour. You've got to be here. But a lot are here with this understanding that I'm here, you know, all the way down this way. And I don't want to live that way, and I want some antidote to it. And in our desperation, most of us look desperately for, for ways to declutter our life and clean out our closets and clean our schedules, chuck technology, go find a cabin to live in. And those things really don't get to the root of the problem. The antidote is really sitting down in the presence of God, taking off our shoes, and listening to him and seeking him where we're at and as we go on this journey of, of refilling our bucket. On your paper at the, the very end there on the back, <clears throat> Rick Warren, a pastor and author you know from Saddleback Church, for many people the barrier spiritual Spiritual growth is not a lack of commitment, but overcommitment to the wrong things. I just love that. And sometimes our, our absence and this barrier that we have between us and God is, is really just an overcommitment that we are so depleted. We've said so many things, uh, yes to so many things, um, that it's hard for us to, uh, to hear God, to see God. And if pursuing God is really the antidote and being in his presence and listening to him, then we're going to have to begin the process, the difficult process of saying no to some things and decluttering our souls and our life. Next session, session two, if you stay around for lunch and that. Uh, again, we're talking about the dream. We're going to talk about Sabbath a little bit and also ways that God fills our buckets. And then next Sunday, both sessions are really going to be some more practical things in line with some of the sermons that we talked about and beyond that of how we move to this life more abundant that God is calling us to and that we desperately need. So I do encourage you. I hope you will participate in the rest of the study. And even share feedback, you know, things that you think of or that you're struggling with. Um, I always want to make sure that I say that because, again, we don't talk about depression and issues like that much in the church. 
um, but it is real and so many struggle with that. And I'm, I honestly, you hear people say this, being thankful for things you go through, and you think, yeah. Hmm. But I actually am very thankful for my period, my journey in depression, um, for a lot of reasons. But one, because I, I appreciate life more now. Um, two, um, because I manage my life better now because I went there. And most importantly, because now I understand others better. I would never understood what it was like until I went through it. And for so many that are struggling with it, um, you are not alone. You're not alone. Uh, you have a God who cares, and there's always a way out from that. And the church needs to speak to that more than we do. Yeah. Uh, let me have a word of prayer, and then we'll break. God, we thank you for being a compassionate God who loves us, who's for us, who desires more our presence than our productivity. God, forgive us for being uh, a people that feel like we have to earn your love, that we have to be busy all the time serving you for us to deserve it. We've missed the boat. God, you truly want to set us free to live as the free people that you designed us to be in, and we're the ones who put ourselves in prison God, I pray that you'll speak to each of us this morning in the midst of where we're at, whatever, if if things are going well or for those of us that are in a wasteland, that we will turn aside and pay attention to your presence and that we'll begin to have the courage to make some changes. God, help us to be humble and honest and courageous about why we have trouble saying no and to begin to find ways to work on that so you can refill our lives. We thank you for this family and this time together and the promise of your word. In your name we pray. Amen.